Hey, everybody. I'm Pastor Mark. Thanks for having me. So <clears throat> I was thankful when Pastor Jacob asked if I could come and preach tonight. Um, I've got a, a special affinity for the bridge. Um, I came on staff here at Compass Bible Church in 2011, and I've preached in the bridge a couple of times. I don't know exactly how many, but um, not enough. I, the one time I'll never forget. I preached in 2013 here in this room, on this stage, and it was Super Bowl Sunday. Pastor Ben or Pastor Bobby, I can't remember who it was, asked me if I could fill in, and and this was like months prior. I was like, sure, I'll fill in. And then I look at the calendar, I'm like, wait a second, this is Super Bowl Sunday. And I like football, I like watching football during the regular season, and then especially during the playoffs, and a whole lot on the Super Bowl. And so I was surprised uh, when there was this conflict, but I was like, you know what? I love the bridge. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to spend the afternoon. And so I was in my office prepping for um, preaching here in the bridge. And you guys remember Luke Melrose? You know who that is? Okay. The, the way I found out that the Baltimore Ravens beat the San Francisco 49ers is Luke Melrose wandering down the hall going, oh, look, the purple team won, and then walking away. And I'm like, man, that is just not the way I saw this Super Bowl Sunday going. Um, so Luke Melrose, I always hear him in the back of my mind. I think of him on Super Bowl Sunday, and I think of that occasion when I'm invited here to the bridge. So um, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad it's not the Super Bowl, but if it were, I'd be here too. Pastor Jacob, what are you going to do on the Super Bowl Sunday? What's the plan? Okay, cool. Well, uh, thankful when Pastor Jacob asked me, uh, I, I cared about the bridge back then and I have through the years, but uh, all the more now, I just see the importance of having a connection between what I get to do on a day-to-day basis at Compass Bible Institute and what you guys do here each and every Sunday night and in the week in between meetings. Um, I just think that um, this ministry ought to uh, really take advantage of the opportunities at Compass Bible Institute. Um, I, I, you know, I... I that's my thing that I get to run, but when I just think of when I was a college student, when I was a high school student, what an opportunity it would have been for me to be able to go and do some of the classes that I ultimately wanted to do um, from my home church. So I just think that this is a great thing that um, we're offering classes. You can take these. I don't know what your majors are. I don't know what you're passionate about. I don't know what you want to study and do um, you know, moving forward, but I I am confident that the Bible classes that we're teaching are good for biblical foundations, regardless of what you do, where you go, and how you spend the rest of your life. You have an opportunity to get a a Bible minor without going to a private Christian college and paying private Christian college prices. And so wherever you go to school now, whatever you do, you can add on a Bible class. And if you add on, I don't know, three, four, five, six Bible classes, you've gotten a Bible minor. And I just think that's a great opportunity. And so I, I just challenge you to take advantage of that and um, for us to build the, the connection between uh, Compass Bible Institute and you guys here on Sunday nights. So with that being said, I, I'm not going to talk about education, Christian education. I'm also not going to talk about marriage. That's the ministry that I run here. I run Thrive, our marriage ministry. We do have some people go straight from the bridge into Thrive. So I could be your next pastor. I don't know. Do we have any, any uh, engagement rings in the house? Okay, just wondering. Just, check, just checking. I'm not talking about dating. I'm not talking about engagement. I'm not talking about marriage. But 
if that's in your near future, then maybe we'll, you'll see a lot more of me because um, that's what I do on Thursdays. I get to run our Thrive Marriage Ministry. No, I actually picked a passage tonight. Uh, just, uh, I don't know. I was thinking about you and your stage of life and what would be good for you to just stop and think about. And I landed in the first chapter of the Gospel of John with a guy that you ought to get to know, well, Jesus, and then also John the Baptist. So the title of my sermon is Jesus, John the Baptist, and You. And I think all of these people come together in an important way because ultimately there's a lot for us to learn about the way John the Baptist lived the way he spent his days, the way he spent his time, what he cared about, what he talked about, what he was passionate about. He burned out till his death for Jesus. And he's a great model for us. No matter what our vocation is, no matter what our job is, uh, he's just a great model. And so there's much for us to learn from John the Baptist. So that's kind of why I picked this text and why we're here. And I'm, I'm again, just thankful, thankful for the invitation and thankful to be here. So, not too long ago, I was driving to work here, church, and I was going down Alicia, and there's not a lot of wildlife in Orange County, you know? Occasionally, we see squirrels. So, I saw a squirrel on my drive. I spotted it a ways away, and I drive a truck. It's heavy. So I'm driving, and I see the squirrel 100 yards out at least. I'm not speeding. I'm not driving recklessly. I'm just driving peacefully. See the squirrel. It darts out into the street. It runs into the street. It stops, looks, runs back, stops, runs back. And I don't know how many times it did this. It went, it went back. It went, it went back. Changed its mind. Where am I going to go? I don't know. And then it was doing that, and I'm getting closer and closer, and... It was out of my path, and then at the last second, it decided to move again, and I just, you know, just had a little bump, and I kept driving. And so that was the end of the squirrel's life. It was um, paralyzed by indecisiveness, right? It didn't know where to go, didn't know what to do, ah, 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 and back and forth, back and forth, until it died, right? And as morbid as that is to then compare to our, the way we make decisions and the way we think, um, I think that is kind of a picture of how we feel sometimes going through life, major life decisions. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? Back and forth and back and forth. And then you, you finally like make a decision. I'm going to go for this. And it just, you get crushed, right? Doesn't work. Flops, fails. And that's a sad reality that, you probably can relate to in one way, shape, or form, right? We've all labored over decisions ah, back and forth, and then we make one, and it just doesn't work out. And you're at a stage in life where you're making big decisions on a regular basis and setting trajectories and making plans and moving forward, and that's all good and important. And so what is it that's going to help you to have a clear path, to have a clear uh, a sense of confidence for knowing where you're going, knowing what you're doing, and why? I think John the Baptist can help us with this so that you can stop guessing, you know, what, what am I supposed to do with my life helps to know where you're going, right? So stop guessing and start living as a disciple. And that 
isn't going to answer all the little details of the questions of, you know, where you should go to school and who you should marry and things like that, but it will help if you put the big picture in its proper place in your life and you move forward. I think it's going to help put some other things in place as well. So open your Bibles to John chapter 1, Gospel of John chapter 1, and we don't get very far into this gospel until we meet John the Baptist, an epic figure in history, and certainly an epic figure in the Gospels. I mean, he was the man, John the Baptist. Look at this. There was a man, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. I just love the Gospel of John. His storytelling, the way he opens the gospel, I mean, the prologue, this, the, this section, it's like this massive piece that introduces the whole book, and it's super cool, and then this is a simple statement. There was a man sent from God. His name was John, <laughs> and uh, I just love that, especially because it comes on the heels of verses 1 through 4, which are super epic. Look at it. In the beginning was the word. John goes all the way back to creation, to before creation, right? He goes, he harks back to the Genesis 1. The earth was formless and without void. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Here's an allusion to the Old Testament before anything was made, okay? So it's cosmic. Matthew goes back to the genealogy. Right, the beginning of Jesus' birth and, um, and the genealogy of uh, parents and grandparents before him. John goes all the way back to the beginning of time. It's cosmic. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So you have this cosmic, massive introduction. Jesus, he's the word. He was the instrument of creation. He brought things into being. Everything that was made was made through him. Going back in time, and then the very next verse, there's a quantum leap to, and there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And so that's how we're introduced to him. And John knows it. He knows what a contrast it is to go from verse 5 to verse 6. And we ought to appreciate that too. So let's put that down for point number one, to know your identity. You want to stop guessing in life, start living like a disciple, have confidence of where you're going. Step number one, know your identity. John knew his Do you know yours? Okay. There is a giant contrast that I'm trying to highlight here between verse 6, 7, and 8 and what comes before. What comes before is the introduction to the God-man, the God agent of creation, the word become flesh, Jesus, the hero of history. Right? The Savior, the Lord, the King, the Messiah, Jesus. And 
right here in the beginning of introducing Jesus, we're, we're met with John the Baptist. And it's a very humble, little, uh, simple sort of sentence. There is a man. And if we just stop right there, we can appreciate the contrast between the word and the man. In the beginning was the word, and then later, much, much later, there was a created being. It was a man, and his name was, was John. So there's this stark contrast, and John is introduced as a man. That says a lot. That says a lot to us um, as we read this. If we read our Bibles, we know that um, there's a, that's a really significant thing to be a man, a human, a man or a woman. But it's also much, much lower than verses 1 through 5. And so if we look back in the beginnings of our, beginning of our Bibles in Genesis chapter 1, we'll see the creation of man. Okay, You know the story. God creates the heavens and the earth. On the sixth day, he creates man. What does he say about man? Other than it being very, them being very good, how does he describe man and woman? In verse 26, I'm not sensing that anyone's going to give me an answer to that question, so should I just tell you? Um, what I was hoping someone would say is that <clears throat> man and woman are made in the image of God. Okay, so... You have the creation of man. Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, verse 26, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God creating man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there's the first kind of description of a man and a woman. They're not God. They're created beings. Much lower than God, but significantly, of all the creation, they are made in the image of God. So there's this special responsibility, this special calling for the man and the woman to represent God to the world. They represent God by ruling over the uh, fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over every creeping thing. And by filling the earth, by subduing it, by having dominion, right? So they represent God and serve as the um, kind of the picture to the rest of the world of who God is. So there's a whole lot and at the same time a whole little to being a man or a woman. It depends on who you're comparing yourself to. Are you comparing yourself to the fish and the birds and the creeping things? Or are you comparing yourself to God, your creator? Okay, a lot of room down and a lot of room up. And so, back in the Gospel of John, we're introduced to a man. Right after John has taken us back to creation. This man is an Adam. This man is John the Baptist. And he, it says, was sent from God. So God, again is stressed here as the creator, the one in charge. He gives uh, John a job to do and sends him into the world. Okay? So there was a man sent from God, and he knew it. 
He knew his identity. If you look in verse 15 in John chapter 1, are you with me? John bore witness about him, about Jesus, right? And he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So even though Jesus was born after John in a um, chronological timetable, John is saying he was before me because he ranks before me. He knows who Jesus is and he knows who he is in relation to him. He knows his identity. Look down at verse 19. See it? This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So look at his just upfront honesty there. Hey, are you a really big deal, they say? And he says, no, I am not. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Right, so this is John's opportunity to either claim to be a hero of the Old Testament, prominent figure, Messiah, the Christ, whatever. But what does he do? He answers truthfully, he answers honestly, and he answers with a full awareness of his identity. He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I'm the front runner. I'm the one who's here to tell you that a big deal is showing up. The big deal is coming. It's not me. I'm here to tell you about him. Um, it goes on, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And he's with his disciples, people who are following him. And this is what he said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. This is why I'm here. Okay, and, and it goes on. He says the same thing there in verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked, and as Jesus walked his way, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And those disciples started following Jesus. And so John, he's got... Religious leaders coming to him, asking who he is. He's got his disciples who are following him, learning from him, hanging on his every word, learning to be like him. And here, John tells them, that's the guy. Go and follow him. And his disciples leave him and start following Jesus. So John just, what I'm trying to stress to you is that John knows who he is. And he knows who Jesus is in relation to him. And that's really useful information for you today as you make decisions about your life. You need to know who you are in relation to Jesus. You're a man or a woman. That says a lot about you. You're a big deal in creation as a created being. You're a human. You're here to reflect the image of God. You're here to have dominion over the birds and the fishes and over other stuff too. But you're not God. You're here to point people to him. So you need to know who you are. I know who I am. And um, when it comes to identity, I guess I'm stressing 
I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a, I'm a human, I'm a created being, but I have other aspects of my identity too. And so, um, you know, I shared, I, I run Thrive, our marriage ministry, and so maybe you deduced with your deductive reasoning that I'm married. Maybe you saw it on my finger that I've got a ring here. I'm married. Some of you know my wife, Bethany. Okay? Right? Well, so my identity as a husband is kind of there. And Bethany knows that too, which is why she was surprised when two weeks ago I dropped down on one knee in a public place and handed her a ring. <laughs> okay? So let me tell you the story. So her birthday was on August 11th, and we had this Thrive date night on August 10th. And I am wearing a silicone ring, okay, right? I love this thing. And she doesn't have one, and when, it, you know, when she exercises or when she gets hot, she'll take off her ring. And I always give her a hard time. We've been married for 16 years. I'm like, hey, where's your ring? And more frequently than it ought to be the case, she's not wearing it. I'm like, I gave you that ring. People need to know that you're taken, okay? So put your ring on. And, and, sh- and so I give her a hard time for not wearing a ring. Anyway, I found the silicone ring thing, and I'm like, man, this is amazing. I'm going to get her one. So I got her one, and I was going to give it to her for her birthday. I don't know. They're like $10 for a four-pack. So it's not like a real big. I spent more on her the first ring that I gave her. Um, but I didn't need to. I could have given her a silicone ring. That would have been fine, too. Um, where is I going with this? So... A lot of backstory here. So I, her birthday was on the 11th. We had a Thrive date night on the 10th. I was going to give her a ring, a, a four-pack of rings. But I was like, I can't just, like, wrap it up and, like, put it, you know, give her a present to unwrap. That's not the way you give rings to people, okay? The way you give rings to people, if you're a guy, is on one knee. So it was the Thrive date night, and we were with two other couples, triple date, and we're at Eureka right there in the town center popular place, lots of people are there, buzzing, this activity, we're in this booth, and the people who are in the booth with me are in on it, they know I'm going to do this ridiculous thing, and um, so at the end of the dinner, someone else gives her a birthday present, and I'm like, hey, I got a birthday present too, but I can't give it to you while I sit here, she's like, what do you mean, it's like, well, I have to give it to you over here, and I slide out of the booth, and I drop down on one knee, and I open up the case, and I say, Bethany, these last 16 years have been the most amazing years of my life. And I launch into a fully rehearsed um, proposal speech. And I was really nervous. I don't know why. But mostly just because um, there was people all around. And if, you know, you know. Like everyone's like, oh. And um, everyone starts looking and watching. And she's just cracking up. So they, they must have thought that my proposal speech was hilarious. Because I'm there saying all the stuff, I ha- and um, I end it by saying, you know, will you stay married to me? And she says, yes. And my friend Garrett has his phone out, and he's recording the whole thing. And he's like, she said yes. And everyone's like, yeah. Right? So everyone's clapping and applauding and, like, giving us congratulations, high fives on the way out. And um, they didn't know that I asked her to stay married to me and that we've been married for 16 years and we have four kids. Um, they just saw I was proposing. Um, and so the reason that was funny for her and the reason it's a funny story is because I already have this identity as her husband, right? And, and so it was unnecessary to do that, but it was just a fun way to do that. But um, I, I say this because the reason that is a, a funny thing for us to laugh about 
is completely unnecessary. I, I know who I am in relation to her. She knows who she is in relation to me. There's no confusion about that. There's no, like, ambiguity about that. We have a very clear relationship back and forth. And that is an important aspect when it comes to you and your relationship with the Lord, understanding who you are in relation to Him will help to make other things in your life crystal clear, okay? So step number one in learning lessons here from John the Baptist, we, want, we, we need to know who we are in relation to God. First, we're His creation, we're men or women, which means we're here to reflect Him. Now, the second thing we can learn, because we can be more specific, is to know your calling. And that's point number two. Look at verse seven. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Another just really simple sentence. Another very human sentence. John came as a witness to bear witness about the light. And so there's this repetition there. We see it in English. You see it even more in Greek because it's like he came as a, as a witness to witness. There's the noun and the verb of the, the word, to witness or to testify, back to back. He came as a, um, you know, martyria is the word. And he came to martyreo, to testify. So this is his calling to not just be a man, that's his identity, but as a man, he had a special calling to be a witness to Jesus, to testify to him, to point to him, to point others to him. Very straightforward. And it's also very striking given what we know about John from the rest of the Bible. When we go and reread the Gospels and you know, other parts of the Bible, we come to learn like, more about this figure, John the Baptist. I said at the beginning, he's kind of this legendary figure. He's a big deal. Um, the religious leaders are approaching him saying, hey, who are you? It's because he had a reputation. He was well-known. And um, it's all the more striking when we build out this profile of who is John the Baptist to circle back to this simple sentence in John and to have his whole life summed up with, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. A um, couple things that are special about John the Baptist that we learn from the rest of the Bible in Luke, we learn how he got his name. His parents, you know, his dad goes, uh, isn't able to talk, right? And then the mom gives him the name. His name's John. And the dad's like, yeah, he writes it down on a tablet. His name is John. So we, like the way we find out that his name is John is pretty significant. And that's because God has chosen this person to be a prophet, to be the forerunner. And his name is going to be John and God makes sure of it. And so uh, he's in his mother's womb and he leaps in his mother's womb when, he, when the moms meet together, Elizabeth and Mary. And anyway, all this cool kind of backstory stuff when they're babies. That's how he gets his name special calling from God. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, we learn that people went out to John the Baptist from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. So people from like all over the place are going out to listen to John. 
He's a big deal. They want to go hear him. They want to hear him talk. They want to see him. And so they go. Um, and then you know what Jesus says about John the Baptist? Matthew 11. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said about John. That's pretty significant, right? Pretty big deal. Let's see. There's no one greater than John the Baptist, according to Jesus, of those born among women. That's a big deal. He's an important person. Yet, here we have the Gospel of John. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness. And that's just about all you need to know about John is kind of the idea. So it really highlights that John, though he was a prominent person, a really important person, a great person that people want to hear, people want to follow, his life mission is summed up with the word witness. He made it his life goal, his life ambition to testify to Jesus, to point other people to Jesus, to do what I read earlier, to point him out and to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, go follow him. Of course, John says those famous words that you've probably, you could probably recall when I start reading this verse. Um, again, when people approach him and say, hey, in chapter 3, aren't you kind of a big deal? He says, no, 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 I'm just the, I'm the friend of the bridegroom, I'm not the bridegroom, I'm just pointing the way to him, you know how that goes, right? And then he ends that by saying, he must increase and I must decrease. So this is just the, the testimony of John the Baptist. He recognizes that Jesus is a big deal because he knows his identity, and he has a really clear, clear grasp of his calling, which is to be a witness to the Lord. He's a witness to the Lord. And I think that while John had a special calling to be that front runner, that forerunner, that first witness, there's a sense in which we all have a similar calling if we're Christians. Um, and that calling is first and foremost to our Lord, Jesus. So if you're a Christian here today, the most important thing for you to take away from this point as I ramble on and nerd out on the Gospel of John is that you are called first and foremost to a person. If you're a Christian, you're wondering about your calling, what am I supposed to do in life? Who am I? And where, where do I go in this place, in this world? What's next? First and foremost, you're called to a person, and that is to the Lord, to serve Him, to live for Him, to point others to Him. And secondly, you're called to a vocation. So first, you're called to a person, and second, you're called to a vocation of sorts. And I think getting that right in that order makes all the difference for you at this stage of life. Uh, it can add a lot of clarity uh, to decisions that you make because you stress a lot probably about the secondary. What, what's my vocation? What's next for me? What, what's this or that decision I need to make? Uh, first and foremost, you're called to a person. And 
you then can fulfill that calling in any number of vocations and locations and any other words that end in Asian that I can't think of right now, um, vacations, okay? Um, all right. So you could and should serve the Lord in whatever you do because you're first and foremost a Christian. And so um, I'm just looking at some of you. I, I know what some of you do. Others of you, I don't know what you do. But, um, you know, you, like Ryan, he, he crunches numbers, right? Analyzes numbers, makes the numbers make sense. He's got spreadsheets, right, for the Lord. He does that as a Christian. And he's a Christian first and a CPA second, right? Um, and so even a vocation like mine, I'm a Christian first, and I'm a pastor second. And I'm a Christian first, and I'm a husband second. My wife is a Christian first, and, and a whole lot of other things second, right? And um, that means we can make it our aim to grow in that calling, fill out that calling, and really excel in that calling as we go about doing the work wherever God places us. And that work can, can be meaningful because we serve him as a you know, uh, clerk at the front of the grocery store or bagging groceries or whatever. You serve the Lord in that because you're called first to a person. I think John the Baptist knew that, and he made that his goal in life, to witness to Jesus. So how can you do that? And who, who is it that you need to point out Jesus to? Um, who is it that watches you and learns things about your church and your faith and your friends and the things that you say you care about? What are they learning from you about Jesus and the way you talk and the way you act? What is your witness like? And what can you say to point people to Christ in whatever it is that you do? That's an important question for you to think about here today. Now, knowing your identity and knowing your calling, you should then, point number three, serve Jesus in everything you do. Serve Jesus in everything. And so we can go back to John chapter 1, verse 8, and see... The way this section ends, he, John the Baptist, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So knowing who he was and knowing what he was called to do, he went out and he did it. And he spent his life doing it, serving Jesus in everything. And so if you have that conviction that you're first a Christian and then second, you fill in the blank, then you can serve Jesus in whatever it is that you do the rest of the day today, tomorrow, what your day-to-day -day looks like um, this week, this month, this season of life. Maybe you're a student and you can serve Jesus as a student and I just think really practically there. Uh, don't turn in an assignment 
until that assignment has somehow hit this target that we're talking about, serving Jesus. And maybe the assignment is like, I don't know, world uh, literature or, or history or something, and it seems like there's no connection to your faith. I would just challenge you on that. In what ways can you milk that assignment until you get out of it something that's going to fuel your heart and your soul? And how can you do that assignment in a way that's going to demonstrate that you love the Lord and you're here to serve the Lord? So even in math, right, crunching the numbers, do those things and don't turn them in. Don't hand them in to the professor. Don't let them go out of your hands until you've served the Lord in it. Maybe you're not a student. Maybe you're doing other stuff. You get the picture of what I'm saying, right? You fill in the blanks here for what you do day to day and don't let it go. Don't be done with it until you've served Jesus in it. I have um, talked to some of you in the past. This is probably a long time ago. I'm sure you forgot about it. But about viewing your life as a, all of the, your time in your life as like a pie chart. Okay, I don't have it on the screens, but... I think there's a helpful visual here when you think about serving Jesus in everything to just recognize that Jesus and serving Jesus is the whole pie. It's the whole thing, not one slice of it. The way we often think as Christians or the way that we're tempted to think is that you've got the school slice of pie, you've got your, you know, friends slice of pie, you've got your work slice of pie, and you've got all these different ways you divide up your day, your 24 hours, your responsibilities, your family, your sleep, your rest, your fun. There's all these different slices, and maybe you're always wanting to make like the friends and the fun slice bigger, right? It's like, man, I wish we had more time for that stuff, but you only have 24 hours in the day. You can only slice it so many ways. Of course, one of those slices is Tonight, the bridge, you prioritize this time, you come here, you come to church, right? So there's, if we're not careful, we think of the Christian life and church time with God as one slice of the pie. And we think, oh, I need to spend more time doing devotions. Ooh, I should go to the bridge more often. Oh, I need to be, you know, memorizing the Bible more. I need to make that slice bigger. I'm all for spending more time on spiritual things, all about that. But the problem is viewing one slice of your life as devoted to the Lord, when the reality is, if you're a Christian, God owns all of it. He owns you. You're bought with a price. Your life is not your own. So all of it goes to the Lord. God owns every piece of your life, your free time, your family time, your fun time, your friend time, your work time, your church time, your devotion time, your school time, all of it. He owns it all. And so that is another shift for you in your thinking in day-to-day and decision-making is this is all for the Lord. So how can I divvy up my time to best serve the Lord? Because I know who I am and I know what I'm called to do. So how do I do all that unto the Lord? Now, John was a great 
great figure, John the Baptist, as I tried to stress. He had a special calling from the womb. He had a special job. He was a one in a million or one in a billion or I guess one of a kind type person. Yet, how did he consider himself? What did he say to people when they came up to him and asked him? He deferred people to the Lord. He pointed people to the Lord. He knew who he was, and he knew what he was here on earth to do. And that made a whole lot of things clear for him. I'm a man. I'm an image bearer. I'm a woman. I'm an image bearer, right? And I'm here to serve the Lord in whatever it is I do day to day. So point people to Christ. If John the Baptist could have that perspective as the greatest man born of a woman ever of all time, then you should too, right? Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the way that it moves us from creation and before time began and the activity of Jesus to the arrival of a man named John who we can learn so much from. God, we're thankful for his legacy and ultimately his testimony because he not only testified to the people who he spoke to in person 2,000 years ago, but he testifies to us today by his legacy. The words that we have about him, we can learn from him, and God, I pray that we would do that. And in some ways and to the extent possible, we would be more like John the Baptist, that we would in humility point others to Christ and that we would spend our lives serving him. God, I pray that you would help these students to prioritize these things, to think about these things, and to uh, serve you more effectively in whatever it is they do day to day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.